All right, welcome back to the Run Culture Podcast. Um, today, I have the pleasure to talk to Chris Wardlaw. So Chris Wardlaw has been a pivotal part of the Australian running history. He was a two-time Olympian himself in 1976 and 1980. Uh, he's been the career coach and mentor to so many runners, including Olympic marathoners Steve Monaghetti, Karen McCann, and Craig Mottram for the latter part of his career. He was the head coach of the Australian track and field team at the 2000 Sydney Olympics. Outside of running, Chris has had a vast experience in the government and educational sectors working in senior leadership roles in both Australia and Hong Kong. He's still running every day and still regularly gets out for long runs at Fernie. Um, It's made my day to have Chris on the podcast um, because I've looked up to people like him and Steve Monaghetti my whole running career. Um, So pretty keen to have a chat about um, his past and and some interesting, fun stories from back in the day. So thanks, Chris, for being on the podcast. Right. Thanks, Dane. Welcome to the Run Culture Podcast. My name is Dane Verway. I'm an experienced runner and running physiotherapist. I created this podcast not only so I had an excuse to talk running each and every week, something that I love to do, but more importantly, this podcast gives me the opportunity to interview fellow runners, friends and health professionals in a relaxed and easygoing format. This podcast is designed for the everyday runner, so we can all live, learn, grow and enjoy everything there is to running together. I hope you enjoy the show. Before we get into the interview, I've just got a quick announcement. I've just established an online exercise community for runners. For just $5 per week, you get three 20-minute exercise routines, one focusing on mobility and stretching, the other focusing on activation, core and Pilates, and the last one focusing on heavy strength exercises. These exercise routines will be updated weekly. So if you're interested, go to run-therapy.teachable.com or follow the links on my Run Culture Facebook and Instagram pages. The first 30 people to sign up receive a free Run Culture singlet retailing at $80 in the mail. As a member, you'll also have access to the online Facebook community associated with the group. As part of this, this group is designed to keep everyone honest and and keep everyone exercising and and doing the routine, but it's also to make sure that the exercises cater for the individual. Now, I must add, signing up is not indefinite, and if you feel the classes are not for you for any reason, you can cancel at any time. So strength training has been shown to help running performance. I believe a conditioned and balanced runner is a more resilient runner to injury. So yeah, I've wanted to do something like this for a long time. If you're interested, just um, sign up. All right, I hope to see you there and let's get on to this week's interview. Um, yeah, uh, I just wanted to start off with, like, how did you get into running? Uh, running, well, you know, at school, like uh, most kids, I mix my sports. Um, I was actually in year nine, I went to Melbourne High, I was in, uh, I was quite a good swimmer, um, no longer, <laughs> and, um, you know, we did swimming training in the morning, but I, I really like running, and we did running in the afternoon, 
and uh, started sort of doing my, you know, a mile that I'd time with my stopwatch that I would carry, old-time stopwatch, and try and beat my time every night. Um, and a really good swimmer turned up at Melbourne High and, and uh, I was a backstroker and he, he was good at everything, a guy called Graham White, who I think went to the Olympics. And uh, so he belted me out of the pool and I, I went to running. And, um, you know, basically from about year 10, 11 and 12, I was a pretty serious runner at school, but no good. Um, <laughs> relatively, uh, relative to the stars we have now, which is one of my stories I like to tell young people. I was, um, I was eighth in the all-school mile um, in, in my year 12, um, and the seven people in front of me, uh, you know, essentially it was probably level of performance post was uh, inverted. Uh, so yep. I was the best in the end, and the first runner we've never heard of since. <laughs> and and were you getting coached um, at that time, or when did you start getting um, coached by Pat Clahessy? Yeah, uh, so my coaching's an interesting one. I, I was, uh, we had a, a teacher, Barry Maher, um, economics teacher at Melbourne High, and he loved running. Um, I don't think he was, he knew a significant about of running. He was a classic, you know, teacher who just liked getting out and, and holding a stopwatch. And a few of my colleagues at the time who, who became very, very good runners, Bruce James uh, and Rob Balzac, um, you know, who were, you know, good runners in their own right. You'll see them in, in uh, the history books. Um, and so we trained together. Um, Barry held the stopwatch. We just did a lot of quarters, <laughs> yep. a lot of runs around the town, uh, but the quarters were very different to what we we got them to. Um, they were the old style quarters where we'd run as fast as we could and and then uh, you know bend over double until we'd recovered and then do another one. Um, yep. And uh, then post school, I had basically two or three years where I went to uni and and did bagger all running. I got involved in everything else, uh, as you might do. Um, and, but Bruce James, again, who is a you know, significant person in my career, uh, he got me back uh, running um, just a little bit at, at Monash. And, um, and so we started, you know, just doing a bit of trial and error uh, on things. Um, so, you know, it was a bit of a collaborative approach to things. Uh, then I, you know, jumped, sort of got more interested and started training every day. Um, and linked in with the Box Hill guys, actually. It was, you know, Graham yep. Crouch and Brendan Lay and uh-huh. uh, Bruce, Bruce's brother Ian, um, Grant Taggart, um, you know, quite a few, uh, Peter Fuller. Uh, quite a few yep. really good bottle runners. Uh, I trained a fair bit with them, um, and I improved. Uh, I still remember my first sub-15, 5,000 metres, you know, which was just a, a wonderful career highlight when I ran 14.56 at Indy Club, and I thought, yep. how good am I? <laughs> and, uh, um, and then sort of what happened was um, through, I was in Monash House Club, uh, Melbourne High Old Boys and then Monash House Club, Melbourne High Old Boys disbanded. Um, went to Monash 
um, Ass Club and and sort of started getting linked in with um, a couple of Glen Huntley guys. Um, had to make some decisions. Uh, Deke was out at out at Monash. Um, got to know him a bit, and I, I, you know, we'd, we'd go into training with him, and that's how I met up with Chloe. And it was probably late '74, uh, and I'd started to improve, and then, um, you know, gradually Chloe and I um, became, you know, pretty um, significant partnership that went through my whole career um, from about late 74 and I, and I really kicked on because we I'd worked out a bit of my own coaching um, yep. my own system uh, I called it the system yep. um, and that was as I said worked out with Bruce uh, and myself um, and it was through trial and error and Chloe taught me you know the value of not crashing out every day uh, that was the really significant contribution he you know talked about bowling and running within yourself and um you know using hill work um so you know it it really moderated what i was doing significantly Uh, i would have crashed and burned without him there's no doubt um and that so that's how i you know in the end um developed you know by by the time I'd made the Olympics in 76, I had a, you know, a pretty good system that was um, based on closed principles um, and, you know, we had guys join us. So in that time, you know, we had Tim O'Shaughnessy, Rob DeCostella, um, Ken Hall training with us, uh, Andy Hill, Bob Walzak, um, you know, a significant number of, of people who were joining in at various times. Um, and that became a bit of what happened over the years. Um, you know, I'm a very, I, I love to think we had an inclusive approach. So, you know, we had people join us who were coached by other coaches that I got on very well with, you know, classic examples, Sean Quilty, uh, who was coached by Johnny Hurst. Uh, Quilty trained with us, you know, two or three times a week and it was fabulous and came away with us on camps and so forth. Um, so that's how it evolved um, and, you know, effectively got into coaching towards the end of my running career. Uh, yep. I, I, I was a running coach, playing coach for yeah. quite a while. With Bruce Jones, how, how did he end up going um, with all the running? Yeah, so Bruce um, uh, fell in love with a New Zealander and, yep. and left the nation. Uh, yep. He's been in New Zealand ever since uh, uh-huh. with his wife, Barbara. And um, so Bruce... Bruce actually represented New Zealand at uh, World Cross. Uh, ran about thirteen forty for five thousand meters. Um, I think about three forty three for fifteen hundred. You know, it was a very good run. Yep. Um, and um, but he went to New Zealand, and you know, we we I tease him, you know, that I went on to the Olympics, and you know, <laughs> he, he went to New Zealand anyway. <laughs> um, but he, he was, uh, you know, we were great running colleagues. And um, ha, ha, how much were you guys all inspired, um, so you and Bruce and um, and the pack that formed, inspired by um, sort of some of the Glenn Huntley greats like, um, yeah, Trevor Vincent or Tony Cook yep. or John Coyle or Ron Clark? Yeah, yeah. So just because um, uh, if Bruce 
ruthless and it will kill me if I didn't mention he won the National Cross two times. <laughs> anyway, um, so, yeah, look, um, and, and this, you know, this is one of those stories. Uh, when I was at Monash, uh, in the Monash Ass Club, uh, a lot of people were trying to get me to switch clubs, you know, because I would have left Monash and, um, you know, not been a, a student any longer. Um, and uh, so, you know, I always remember... Um, um, Neil Fairley of SSH, he was the only person who actually visited me at night uh, to try and get me to join SSH because I ran a lot with Max Little, uh, who was another, did a lot of running with Max over the years. Um, and, um, uh, but I knew Box Hill were very interested, uh, you know, and the Barlows wanted me to go across and, you know, and so forth. But then, um, you know, there's this guy called R.W. Clark, um, <laughs> who, who, you know, for me, he's the god of running, god of everything. Um, <laughs> and, um, you know, Clarky, I think at some stage, you know, suggested, because I was I, I, I was probably one of the first professional athletes in the country. Yep. Uh, Clarky recruited me to wear um, Nike shoes and Lecoq gear uh, before the Sydney Olympics. Uh, when Nike was, you know, but a minor little player here. Um, and Clarky suggested, oh, you should think about Glenn Hartley. And I'm sure Trevor, <laughs> without TV, without any doubt, did something somewhere. And so did Clo. <laughs> and, and, and in the end, I, I went to Glenn Hartley. Yep. Um, and, you know, it's a, it's a magical club and got a magical tradition. And, and you know, those guys... Um, you know, Clarkie and Cookie and Coyle and TV, you know, they're an incredible inspiration uh, to me. Yeah, nice. And um, uh, what, what, how, like, were they training in a similar sort of manner like or way to, to you or, like, how was um, sort of Ron Clark and um, TV and those guys training? Um, were they sort of training um, with your sort of system as well um, or... Like, did you sort of, um, were you inspired um, for, for a bit of their training and that's how you sort of came up with how you wanted to train as well? Yeah, it's a bit of, um, uh, you know, I, I think that those guys had already, you know, on their own, you know, clearly developed a, a very significant pattern and I know Frank McMahon had a significant, significant influence on that, uh, who's still living up, up the up the north um, in Euroa, I think. Um, so Frank was very influential. If Clarkie ever had a coach, which he never did officially, Frank was certainly his key, key advisor. But what they did was something that Chloe, you know, had developed when he came back, uh, which was just the good, strong running, lots of volume, um, you know, Fernie Creek that I got to and, you know, absolutely loved and thrived on. It was no accident that I um, I jumped from, you know, 90th at a, a cross country in 74 to the Olympics in 76. Um, it was a Victorian cross country. Yep. <laughs> because I, you know, I was doing um, uh, fabulous uh, training up at Fernie twice a week. We'd go up on Wednesdays um, and... Uh, you know, do a, a bowling, you know, one hour 40 and two and a half hours on Sunday. Um, and I, I just got strong. 
and fit. Yep. And so, uh, so I knew something was happening. Um, and, uh, you know, I'd sort of accidentally come across the quarters, um, which some people call call the Dukes. I'm blowed if I know how that ever happened. Because <laughs> 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 they're certainly mine. Anyway. Okay. Bit of a joke. Yeah, what are um, the origins of the quarters? Yeah, so the origins of the quarter are really simple. So, yeah. you know, back in Bruce and I were doing, you know, these quarters of flat-out 400s, you know, falling over ourselves and I, I think my best ever session was six quarters in about 59 seconds um, but I still couldn't break 410 for 1500 you know yep. uh, so I picked up um Frank Short, the Frank Shorter story, uh, which is a magnificent little book. Um, I think it's still available somewhere. Uh, very thin. It was like a bibliograph, really. Yep. And uh, he mentioned a session he did with Kenny Moore down when he was in Florida with the Gators. Um, and he talked about, uh, I think it was 12 400s, uh, but he talked about a very short recovery. Um so, and and the recovery was jogging uh, or float. You know, I think you might have even used the term float, but I've certainly used it since. Uh, but it was a very short recovery, and so it was. He was doing slower reps, um, but but more um, significant intervals. And I still laugh when people think intervals are the actual reps. You know, the misunderstanding of that is is you know everywhere. Yep. Uh, and um, so what What we gradually did, you know, almost immediately I said, and it was probably with Bruce, but, you know, basically I, I started slowing down the reps and speeding up the recovery. And um, I could probably find in my diaries the first time I did 8 by 4 with 200 float. Um, and that became, a, you know, an essential session for everybody. And it's actually really time-tested, Um it's amazing how time tested it, it is for sort of predicting what you can do for five thousand. Um, and uh, I, my current example is, you know, I'm not doing much coaching now at all. Just really mentor other coaches, but a, a young, well, a medium young guy, um, Jamie Cook in Bendigo, yep, uh, just ran, just had a break, breakthrough season. Um, ran thirty oh eight and and fourteen eighteen. Uh, the other day and hadn't broken 15 minutes previous yeah um, but, but he's uh, he's shown his quarters were about 14:30 so I said look you're going to be able to run you can run faster than 15 minutes if you can do your quarters in 14:30 and so it showed yeah um, it, it's but it's that it's the float recovery which is the key and and Ron Clark really reinforced that with people like Scotty and I, you know, um, some of the, I was reminiscing the other day about, you know, Clarky coming down and watching Scotty and I do a set of straights at Olympic Park and we went for our warm down afterwards and we were just, because Scotty was heading overseas to run a big 10k yep. um, and Clarky had taught us straights in, in a way, um, even though it was a well-known Lydiard session um, and, you know, um, Alan Barlow used to call them winders and so forth. So, you know, none, none, none of this is original stuff. You always stand on the shoulders of everybody else. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, we went for our warm down and Scotty and I said, you know, 
wrong car came down to see if there were set of straights, you know. Um, <laughs> and that sort of thing can be just, you know, so inspiring. Yep. Uh, so, you know, gradually just incorporated everything into, you know, a set of principles. Um, yep. And, and the first two principles, you know, people laugh, I'll say the first principle is the long run. Uh, the second principle is the second long run. Uh, <laughs> and the third principle is the first two principles. Um, <laughs> and, you know, people want more complexity. Um, and, it's, you know, I laugh about garments and so forth. Um, <laughs> because it, it, is a, it is a fundamentally simple sport. Um, you know, we're competing with gravi- gravity. Um, gravity will always win. Um, so you've got to find a way of, you know, managing that competition and getting stronger and fitter uh, and the strength in order to actually train. I, you know, I think, I don't know whoever said you've got to be fit to train, but that's one of the things, you know, I, I one of my mantras. Yep. Um, you know, you, can't, you just cannot do the quality and track season and the quality races unless you're really fit. Um, so, you know, that, that's the philosophical background to it all. Nice. Um, yeah. So, it's, uh, it, it, you know, it's an amalgam of, you know, what the Glenn Huntley guys did, what the Box Hill guys did, um, what Bruce and I sort of got there by trial and error and what, you know, a sentence out of Frank Schilber's little book, book you know, that's how we got there. And, um, like, I, I was looking up sort of your your principles of the ward law system because um, I think it's on the Glenn Huntley website and um a few other ones were um, making sure that um uh yeah there was like the the long run such an important part and then consistency over time and i suppose that's what um because i know jamie cook pretty well and he he's um really shown consistency over time and and he's i think like this year it's really sort of coming to fruition like um uh, like he, he he's been running like um high volume for a long time for a number of years um and then yeah another one of the principles um it was it said uh beware of the super session um yeah yeah. and i just wanted to um get sort of um uh like your 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 um thoughts on 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 massive sessions and and big training sessions that um you see some some people some people do, um, and and the dangers involved. Yeah, yeah. So this is a critical thing, and um, you know, people often, you know, I, I, people accuse us when we're at our, our peak and we had a lot of great runners and in the pack. Um, you know, people will say, "Oh, it's so boring." You know, you just week after week after week, and I said, "Yeah, boringly good with results." Yep. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but. Um, you know, the super session, and I, I think this comes from Chloe. I think Chloe um, used that terminology. Um, yep. And um, because he, he's, you know, he's got a famous story about Billy Mills, um, you know, that's well known yep. to a lot of us. Um, and he, he moderated, and I've seen some letters and everything between him and him and Chloe. He moderated his training. Um, Clarky sort of moderated a bit as well um and you know i learned from that and i've seen so many cases where you know people have um you know eased up for training (laughs) (laughs) and uh 
you know, which is just, it's the antithesis of what I believe in. You know, you train in order to race and, uh, you know, you'll get to training. You know, maybe you get to training tired, so what, you know? That, that's that's what happens. Um, I used to say, if I, you know, if I was feeling buggered, I'd say to Chloe, turn off the watch because um, I didn't want any, any record of you know, what I was about to do. But, of course, Chloe would secretly do it anyway. Um, but, um, yeah, so I, I'm sort of the, the view that, you know, you, you have a sort of a straight line linear development where you, you build the volume um, and you, you try and avoid big troughs and, and peaks and big super sessions, uh, which you don't absorb. Uh, and you get injured. Um, so, but there's a lot of subtlety in that because even though people might say everything we did was the same, well, it actually wasn't. Um, you know, it was very clearly understood that you had to read your body. And you know, I'll use another example, who I think is one of you know my really underrated runners is uh, Nick Harrison. Yep. Uh, went to the Olympics and ran what was it, two ten twenty two. Um, and uh, Nick, Nick came from, you know, he had a famous father who was a good runner, uh, Terry, uh, the late Terry. Um, so Nick Nick was absolutely brilliant at reading his body. Um, and people used to laugh at him, you know, he'd just go easy one Wednesday night and, you know, just plot in at the end. And, you know, he'd get teased a bit around it. Yep. Uh, and actually, he, he just, he had a real talent for it and another guy who's well known to everybody called Robert DiCostello yeah <laughs> he was a genius at it as well um I I often laugh I don't think I beat beat, beat me in a training ring <laughs> sure, sure as hell he became world champion um you know so it's um learning to read your body is just so significant and that's where this super session idea what you what you're trying to do with the super session is actually externalize something that your body may not be prepared for yeah um and and i often say you know the watch is only an indicator uh the time for a session is only an indicator the training effect might be totally different from one week to the next um, and this is why I'm sort of, you know, I laugh about the game and, you know, my, uh, my current, uh, you know, Craig Mottram, who, what a yep. fabulous athlete to be involved with. And, you know, I was at the end of his career and what a, you know, uh, he had great coach, coaches before me. Yep. Um, and Scrivo and Nick. Um, but, um, you know, I, I, wonderful working with Craig and you know he's going into coaching and he's finding out it's not that easy yeah um, but he he said a couple of times the bloody Garmin this is madness because you know? um, he he crossed that generation you know um, yep. so he understands feel and you know um, really listening to your body and what the Garmin does is actually try to tell you how you're feeling yeah um, and it, it's, I, I think it's really problematic, um, but it's difficult for, you know, younger generation to switch them off. I understand all that. Um, you know, it's generational, but I'm not convinced uh, it's what you need to actually become a great runner. Yeah, because almost like these days, um, a lot of um, of the younger generation have 
that that's their diary now. Like they they um yeah. log it onto Garmin and and um like I know like you've been pretty big on everyone uh, all, all your athletes keeping a good diary um for yeah. training um but it's almost like they they use that as their diary and then um but then there's that risk of like getting carried away and um being too governed by the watch. Uh, yeah. yeah. It's classic, and you know the classic is the coach, the coach who blows the whistle because they're feeling really good, <laughs> and the runner responds. You know, my coach is the opposite of that. I want the athlete to blow the whistle. Um, so you know, it, it is a philosophical thing, um, and it, yeah. it, you know, it, it's based on a you know a, trying to make the coach redundant. I always say, you know, with Mona. Um, I made myself redundant with Mono. The only reason I kept his coach because I got around the world with him. Yep. <laughs> um, he 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 learnt so much about himself, uh-huh. and and what a phenomenal athlete, you know. Um, and Karen was the same. Uh, Karen, you know, really brilliant athlete. She trained by herself largely, uh, although she had uh, Gregson. For, you know, was a young boy uh, running. Oh yeah. Uh, on, I remember her telling me, oh, I've got this kid who's running with me on Sundays. Gregson, <laughs> God, he's good. <laughs> uh, so, um, you know, but Karen and, and Mono were, you know, trained in Ballarat and Wollongong and they just learnt to, learnt to know how to read their body um, and I could trust them uh, to know that and the system was moderate and it kept them away from the edge. Um, but... My God, they did big volume, you know. Yep. Um, Mona was doing 200k a week. Karen was doing 180k a week. Um, you know, Karen ran 15:08, the Australian record, uh, in an 180k week. Um, yep. Um, you know, because they were they were fit. Yep. Um, really, really, really fit. Um, now it's easy to say, I have to say, don't. Yeah. Uh, it's much harder to execute. Um, you know, it it, yep. it all sounds straightforward, but oh my god, you know how to how to bring a kid from eighteen to twenty four is really complex and difficult um, for a coach and the athlete um, because the volume you can't rapidly get to volume. You got to balance your quality and sessions and so forth. Even though I call the long runs the sessions, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> But you still got to do, you know, you got to. I always talk about keeping in touch with your speed, um, especially if you're doing middle distance and five thousand. You know, I'm not naive, um, so it, it is quite complex for coaches uh, and athletes to get there. And you know, I, I, it always worries me when I see a, you know a terrific athlete or what I thought was a terrific athlete disappear. Yep. Um, and, you know, I never know why. Uh, Peter Fortune and I, you know, Fort, who coaches Catherine Freeman and others, um, Fort and I always laugh about the best athlete we ever saw. His name was Angus Doby. Yeah. Um, no one knows Angus Doby. <laughs> 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 uh, look him up. I, I'd love to know where he still is because he, he was one of the most brilliant runners we ever saw. Uh, but, you know. <laughs> yep. <laughs> well, yeah, I've, I've always wanted to ask you, um, like, 
because I'm, I'm, I'm wary of you, like not, you know, be, like t- saying, um, beware of the supersession. And I've always wanted to ask you, like, what do you think about some of these marathon specific sort of workouts that Renata Canova is getting some of his athletes to do these days? Those those mini sessions at the end of a a, a two hour long run. So f- for the athlete that you feel is robust enough and experienced enough and has been running for years, and you feel like they they could probably cope, um, like what? how relevant do you feel those sessions are and what's your thoughts on that? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, So the way, the way we did long runs and people still do long runs, uh, you know, now I'm going back to Deke and Mono and everybody and myself. Um, Our our long runs weren't a jog. Um, You know, anybody who came up and did a 21 with us would know uh, that over the last, you know, 10K, um, we would we would be rolling. Yeah. Um, really rolling. Yep. Um, and, and on a, um, you know, a, a Monday night 10 uh, that we used to do in, around Treasury, if people thought we were running, you know, our last mile in five and a half minutes, they're wrong. Uh, <laughs> we were, you know, we were flying. We were doing... <laughs> We were doing, you know, four forty miles for certain. Okay. You know, the last, but we never had Garmin's to tell us. Yep. You know? um, we were so um, the long run. My argument on the long run is you shouldn't schedule that. What you should do is run as you feel. So I say to an yep. athlete, I would really love for you to get to the stage where you're so strong and feel so good that you really want to run home hard. Yep. Uh, and, and my test is that you can come in and not be so buggered that you couldn't go out and run for another 10 minutes. Yep. Um, that's the test. Um, so while I, I don't like the specific scheduling, it's because it goes back to that philosophical point. The coach schedules do a 10K during a you know, two and a half hour run. The athlete feels they've got to do it. <laughs> when in actual fact, it should be the athlete making some decisions about how they're feeling. Yeah. Um, and if they're tired, they must not do it. Um, and so that's why I'm a bit, I'm a bit uncomfortable with schedules. That's why I like a framework and a and, and a system. Um, that yep. you can work with him and some rules around it. You know, we have rules about building into races and absorbing your race afterwards. And, you know, I use the Jack, Fat, Jack, Jack Foster mantra of uh, one day recovery for every mile covered in a race. You know, all those sort of rules. Uh-huh. Um, and it becomes very specific for the athlete and their, and their program. Um, so while it looks like it's the same, you know, one size fits all, it actually isn't. Yep. <laughs> it, it, it's quite tailored. And, and so a guy like Nick Harrison, you know, can tailor it to his own benefit. But if you go back down the list, I don't want to talk, you know, I like to talk about people like Jamie Cook and, yep. and Damien Cook, um, who, you know, was a, one of my lieutenants, and Len Johnson, uh, you know, who was really... Um, did a lot of miles with land. You know, he got to under 220. Cookie got to 221. Um, they did it through just good volume, 
good management of themselves, understanding what they needed to do. Uh, they were doing, you know, 200k a week, 190k a week, uh, but managing it um, and got, you know, pretty close to the best out of themselves. Uh, I, you know, anybody can do better than what they did. I could do better. I'm sure I could have run the Australian record. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, In what, so, what distance? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I certainly believe I could have run faster at 10. I hardly ran any 10s, which yeah. is ironic because I ran two of my small number of 10s at an Olympics, a heat and final. Those were the days when it was tough, mate. You know, none of this straight <laughs> final. Because <laughs> <laughs> you came 12 at 1976. Uh, yeah, 12th at Montreal, and, and the heat, you know, they were. It was pretty, pretty tough. Um, yeah, but uh, yeah, so we had two ten k's in four days. Yep. Uh, and, and then I ran the marathon. Yeah, uh, I, saw, I saw that. <laughs> and I was in the I was in the lead pack at at halfway, but you know, just too much, and uh, it wasn't you know wasn't really prepared. But I loved it. <laughs> and then in. Um... But Moscow, you ran the marathon as well um, yeah. in 1980. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that's, you know, probably if I reflect back on my career, that's, you know, my single major disappointment. Um, you know, I'm a bit like Deke. I can get a positive, in mono, I can get a positive out, out of anything, you know. Um, yep. But um, uh, I still haven't made an entry in my 1980 diary of that race. Uh, <laughs> Got forty years of diary every day completed except that day, um, and you know there are a heap of reasons. I, I just got really badly dehydrated. Um, you know the heat killed me. No excuses. Um, I, I was involved in the you know the boycott issue. Got way too involved, um, and you know spent you know three months travelling the country arguing the case, um, and you know just didn't go there fresh enough. Yeah. Um, and it was, you know, quite disappointing. But that night, um, you know, for a gruesome detail, <laughs> I, I, you know, I was so dehydrated and a savage uh, diarrhea, really savage yeah. diarrhea, and uh, went went to the toilet. You know, I couldn't get off the toilet. I had to call out to Deacon Clow to come and get me uh, and carry me to the bed. I was. <laughs> That exhausted. Um, now, in those days, you know, if it was now, I would have been ca- carted off to hospital on a trip. Yep. Um, so, like Rob DeHyden in 1997, another one of my really fine athletes who, who really understood the system um, deeply, deeply. You've worked with so many athletes. Um, uh how how many um, runners do you think you've coached over the years? Oh, hundreds. Yeah. <laughs> hundreds. And um, and all of them, you know, get different benefits out of it, you know. Um, it, it's interesting how, um, you know, and, and, and it, I call it a deep vertical slice through. So I get as much pleasure out of Jamie's, you know, as I say, I'm not hardly coaching at all, but because yeah. the only reason I'm coaching is because his dad, Victor, is a, you know, a hunter. Yeah. <laughs> and um, I get a lot of pleasure out of that, you know, and um, and I get a lot of pleasure out of, you know, um, Craig, 
you know, working with an athlete and, and uh, Adam working with Jeff Trengrove in, in um, South Australia and, and Greeny when he was coaching up in Sydney. I, I got, get a lot of pleasure out of that. Um, so, you know, I, I did at one stage um, try to see how many of my athletes were an all-time list, yep. and there are a lot of them. Yep. People that I've forgotten, you know, people like Mel Norwood and, um, you know, Julian Painter, who was a fabulous athlete, um, fabulously talented athlete who, you know, got a serious injury and, and now he's a bloody good biker. Um, yep. Um, and, you know, some of my female athletes, you know, Anne Cross was fabulous. Uh, I coached Kate Anderson after she had two, you know, terrific coaches. She had Dick and Dick Telford and and uh, Pam Turney, and then I coached her at the Olympics. Sarah Jamison, uh, before she went on to Scrivo, um, she was at the Olympics. You know, it, it's... But I also, you know, a lot of athletes who just did their best and got really good PBs, um, hundreds of them, hundreds. And, like, like, if you look back at all those athletes that performed perform consistently so well like were there some characteristics that you felt like were pretty consistent across across all of them yeah it's funny it's <laughs> yeah. another one of my jokes yeah. i um i often talk about coach uh, athletes who um they're on a continuum of being coachable and, <laughs> uh, so on the left you know if you look at it as a you know a yard ruler on the left there's athletes that are bloody uncoachable on the right there are athletes that are coachable so on the right are the obvious ones like um you know mono and karen and, and, and nick uh nick harrison yep. really coachable yeah uh, hyden you know but then in the middle there are you know athletes like ann cross and kate anderson and sarah jamison and <laughs> now I'm, I'm doing the big names now you know yeah uh, <laughs> and uh <laughs> probably you know painter and you know, they're in the middle, really coachable. And then on the left, uh, and I, you know, these athletes will laugh, you know, Susie Power, I put my <laughs> arm um, <laughs> co- coached her and used to have a contract for Susie. What a talent, what a talent. Um, and um, uh, even Craig Mottram, I put towards <laughs> the left. <laughs> the left. And Pat Scammell, uh, if Pat listened to this, <laughs> wonderful mate of mine and has been for years um pat pat you know i put him sort of more to the left than the right (laughs) (laughs) Um, but what they all had what they all had was ambition yep um, a desire to you know really be a good athlete um they listened to the coach uh, they gave feedback, some more than others, um, and um, and they had a modicum of talent. Yep. Um, I, I'm the least talented, very good runner I know. Um, you know, I, I could barely break two minutes for 800. Um, but all those others, you know, relatively were quite talented, but, you know, there are a whole heap of others. Um you know, that weren't nearly as talented, um, but played a significant role in the pack. Um, How did the pack get their name? 
Yeah, it's a, it's interesting. I was trying to think of that. Uh, mm. I, I'm not exactly sure. Um, yeah. But I do know we had a posse at one stage. <laughs> <laughs> the, the posse came from Kev O'Shaughnessy, who was uh, <laughs> and Kev trained with us for a while and ran really well training with us. Um, and uh, Kev used to talk about the posse chasing the pack. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> The, the pack would disappear into the wilderness and then there was a posse behind. Uh, um, so the pack, I think, you know, because we did train together, we had rules about training together. You know, it was 5.35, 5.05 on a Wednesday, 9, uh, 9 a.m. on Sundays. Um, if you didn't come, there were rules about how you joined, you ran backwards, um, you know, and... Um, and, and it was because, you know, it was a, I, I regarded it as a bit of a collective um, that, you know, I wanted everybody to contribute and, and be part of it. Um, and, and that's how it sort of, sort of worked. But there were people in the pack who were significant over the years who really helped. Uh, you know, Len Johnson I've mentioned, Damien Cook, Ken Green, um, Julian Painter, Robbie O'Donnell, uh, they were leaders, yep. you know, uh, in their own way. Um, uh, so that you know, they did a lot of chatting to people because they understood what, what we were trying to do. Um, yep. You know, so that, uh, I, I really want to sort of acknowledge, you know, their work and Bruce and Chloe and you know TV. Um, you know, who I still meet up with every Sunday <laughs> at Fernie. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and how how did you get your nickname, Rab? Yeah, uh, school. Um, uh, I had back teeth, um, <laughs> but there was also a bit of you know I was really upright. Uh, yeah, runner. If you see any film of me, yeah, um, really an uh, arch back, uh, and which <laughs> you know, created a lot of problems for me with sciatica and stuff. Um, so, yeah, Rab came from school, started as Rabbit, but got shortened really quickly to Rab. Yeah. Uh, my grandkids called me Rab. Um, it, it's interesting in athletics, you know, it's almost universally Rab. Uh, and then, you know, in education, it's Chris. <laughs> so, uh, that's why I sign off Chris slash Rab. Yep. <laughs> um. Yeah, and uh, like, what what were some of your other performances as a runner that you were most proud of? Because um, like, I, I've read a few other interviews um, um, on the internet, and uh, you, you sort of claim your seventeen thirty three at Sandown was one of your highlights, um, and your Beta Breakers win um, as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Why yeah, do you put so, them up there? Yeah. So. Uh... You know, the highlight of my career is definitely the Olympic final. Yep. Uh, you know, it, it surpasses everything else, and it was just fantastic. Um, I I do rate, um, you know, a couple of my my marathon run in Montreal, uh, where I finished third, Dave Shuttle was second, uh, as a pretty damn good run. God, that was hot. Um, and I ran 2.13, yep. you know, when it was un- unfashionable. Uh, and Dave, ran, I think Dave ran two twelve. Um, Dave Chettle, um who was another fantastic runner who did a lot of running with us, um, but he was coached in Tassie. Um, the um, 
So Sandown, I rate so highly because it's time-tested. Um, I think it's a tragedy when they started doing the reverse. I've never understood why they did that because um, it is different. I think it's slightly faster, reverse. Um, it's the way you run the hill, etc. cetera. Um, but... Um, it's time tested. If you look at the look at the list of people who have you know broken nineteen minutes, broken eighteen thirty, broken eighteen, it's a pretty significant list. Um, and I was three seconds behind Ron Clark again. You know, for me, your name coming up. Um, and you know, I often say, you know, it was also done where I had to have grappling hooks to get through the wind up the back straight. <laughs> um, but I ran that, and then after that, I went to to Beta Breakers. I won the Bacchus race, and I went to Beta Breakers, and I I was really at the top of my game. I you know I missed the start. It's sort of you know famous story. Uh, through through my tracksuit to a woman, and she said, "But where will you be?" And I said, "Well, I'll win it." <laughs> That's how confident I was in anything I was doing. Um, and, How much um, did you miss the start by? Oh, uh, I reckon 20 or 30 seconds. Yep. Yeah. You know? uh, and in the end, it wasn't a great feel, but I had to find my way through it. Um, it you know, it was the first you know, major mass run in those days. And um, so, you know, in Hay Street Hills Hill, which, you know, is a phenomenal hill and phenomenal for me because it was a really great hill run. Um and uh, that's my first humble brag. <laughs> and uh, the um, so you know, and I came into uh, Golden Gate Park and, and won the race. And the woman said, "You were right." <laughs> um, and I, I think just I, I just knew how well I was running at that period of time. And I went to the Olympics off that, ran a very good five thousand on the warm up track, thirteen thirty eight, um, and then ran the ten k. Uh, final. I think at at that time I was certainly the best runner I I could be at that time. Um, I did hit another peak in you know seventy nine, early eighty, uh, where I thought I was running really really well. But I don't actually think I ever got to my absolute potential because I. You know, I didn't listen to my body as much as I should. I was still learning it with Chloe. Yeah. Um, you know, I ran through things that I should never have run through. Um, you know, all, all the common mistakes which I've learned. <laughs> um, you know, no, normal, simple things like, as a physio, Dan, you know. Yeah. <laughs> if the pain increases, stop. Yep. You know? <laughs> um, it's just a very simple rule, but people still disobey it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, definitely, they do. Um yeah. Well, like, can you illustrate some of the key differences, um, say, between being a top-level runner today to, to, to back then? Um, so, like, um, did, did you, you know, ever see a physio or, um, yeah, like, did you do much gym or, um, yeah? Yeah, good question. And I, and I often reflect on this. I, I would be different. Um, I'm, not, I'm not one to say everything in the past was golden. Um, yep. I think there were some very golden things we did. Yeah. <laughs> uh, like not have a Garmin running at Fernie. Uh, <laughs> but, <laughs> but um, no, look, if you, yeah, I had a physio, Peter Bruce, 
was a very significant physio for me. Uh, he might know uh, Charlie Gorn. Uh, he ran a two nineteen marathon, I think. Peter Charlie Kornberg did a lot of work on my back. Uh, I think he's still working down at Brighton. Uh, Anne Lord's still my physio and yep. um, was Mona's physio and Craig's physio. Possibly one of the best yep. uh, physios around, if not the yeah, best. Definitely. <laughs> um, and um, so I always had physio. Always had. Massage. Um, Len Johnson and I got a weekly massage from Effen Shurovetsky, who's you know a great coach, Coach Scotty Fer- Ferrier, um, and he was doing massage in those days. He was very, very good massage. Um, uh, so you know, I had all those you know supports. Peter Fuller, really significant friend and and running partner and doctor, uh, lifelong. Um, for me, uh, so I had all those things uh, on on gym uh, weights, etc. You know, my joke was I had a set of dumbbells in the corner, and yep. I'd get up out of bed and I'd look at the dumbbells and I'd feel a whole lot stronger. <laughs> uh, I did swimming every Sunday night. Uh, I was a good, still a good swimmer. You know, even in uh, I've only lost the swimming power in the last thirty years. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So I swam Sunday nights. Um, I did, you know, uh, exercise routines every night, you know, push-ups and, you know, yep. leg raises. I had a routine, but nothing, nothing systematic or scientific. Yep. Uh, and Mona and Karen and all those basically, you know, I learned from other coaches and got other coaches to support, uh, like Fort and the VAS and everybody to build those in uh, and you know probably now I would you know I'd regard core work as just fundamental um, yep. uh, the only only proviso I have is you know don't don't shortchange your volume to do that you've got to fit that into your volume not not change your volume to fit that in and, and yep. it can be done Mono showed how it could be done Mono and Karen did two sessions a week Nick, I think, Nick Harrison was two sessions a week painter and so forth you know my modern day athletes um, relative modern day and of course Mottram was at the gym and had a, had his gym yep uh, um, yeah so that you know, we call it the one percenters. You know, they're critical, and to get to the top now, I think you, you know, you've really got to have, have those things in place. Uh, nutrition, I was hopeless. My nutrition now is so much better than when I was a runner. Uh, <laughs> unfortunately, forty years too late. Um, so you know, I've got no doubt that, um, and you know, I think um, people like Graham Crouch and. You know, Deke got really professional around his his nutrition and so forth. I think they led the way back in those days, uh, and yep. now I think you know, now all those things. I, I, they're really, really important. Yeah. And how did um, you you and um, Monaghetti, Steve Monaghetti, um, actually um, become a, a coaching sort of athlete um, partnership? How did you sort of get to know Mona, and how did that all start? He shown a lot of aerobic ability, as we all know, um, through through seventeen, eighteen. Uh, when he actually he ran me, um, um, I, I'm not sure why or how he got on to me. Uh, he was 
coached by Tony Benson at the time, and this is this is a trivia question. There are two head coaches uh, of the Australian track and field team who both coached Steve Monaghetti living in the same street in Blackburn. Tony oh. Benson lived down the road. Really? <laughs> Which is amazing. That's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> and um, so he rang and talked about, you know, being coached and everything. And uh, so that's how it started. Um, told him to get a diary. Um, we, uh, you know, that's how the big, you know, story about how did Fartlek ever happen um, came about, um, you know, and there were different interpretations of this. This is Rashomon. Yeah. Um, um, some from Mona, some from me. Um, my, my version is he wanted more structure. I said, just do some Fartlek, you know, just run around the lake, you know, feel good. Yeah. Uh, you know, do it as you please. And, of course, you know, young athlete, no, I want, I want, Tell me some structure. Yep. <laughs> so, um, I said, oh, look, you know, let's start with a couple of 90s and, you know, 460s and yep. 430s and 415s and, you know, <laughs> have, a, have a bit of recovery. How much recovery? I said, oh, look, uh, you know, uh, the same recovery, you know. Yep. And basically what I was trying to get to was about 20 minutes effort, you know. Yep. And uh, so that's how my version of how Monofartly started, but of course he turned it into, you know, exact, <laughs> you know? and um, which was, it's a great session, and, you know, people like Peter O'Donoghue, um, who's, again, one of the best, best athletes I've ever seen, I never coached uh, Peter, but I, you know, was sort of, you know, in an advisory role a little bit for him and he did um, on a fartlek on the track in spikes you know it, it, you can do it in various ways and then you know up at falls we do on a fartlek by doing 10 minutes out and then you chase back um, so there are various variations of it that, that people have adopted and again I think it's a you know a time tested <coughs> sort of uh, approach um, but what's important is it in it is the float, um, yep. rather than the jog or the stop. Um, you know, Ron Clark always said, you know, they don't let you stop in twenty-five laps. You know, after each lap in a ten k, um, you've got to keep going. So you know, it's obvious and it's intuitive, um, but it's but it's damn true. Yeah, yeah. So with Mono, you know, we just developed a really strong relationship, and as I said, he's he was so coachable. So bloody talented, so durable, um, mentally strong, all the characteristics of, you know, a, a great runner that he was and is, and, and really intelligent guy, you know. He, he, um, uh, we, we had some very, very incredible discussions over the years on runs. Um, yeah, but, you know, now a, a great mate and our families are, you know, connected uh, with Tanya and the kids, etc. Nice. With um, what Mono um, and Deeks achieved over the marathon and, and their times, like, you know, 207, 208, um, uh, like, why do you think, um, you know, no Australians um, since, um, you know, Nick Harrison and, and Lee Troop um, have, have really sort of gone close to, um, yeah, well, yeah, Nick Harrison didn't break 210, but, yeah, since Lee Troop um, have gone under yeah. 210. Yeah. 
No, look, it's a good question. Of course, Troopy was, you know, based on our model uh, with some variations, but, but you know, huge volume. Yeah. Um, and, um, you know, Mono, Mono wasn't his coach, but was his coach. Who would know, you know, with Troopy? Another terrific runner. And what a great success story, you know, coaching that young... Oh, yeah. Uh, to make the Olympic team. Jacob, Jacob Riley, yeah. Yeah, magnificent and, you know, really, really, really pleased. Um, hmm. um, so um, I, I'm i not exactly sure. Uh, I'm not convinced people do the consistent volume they need to do. Um, I was really pleased with that. Uh, I'm very sorry, everyone. The audio cut out for one or two minutes here while Rav was answering that question about why Australia's current men's marathoners aren't covering the distance in the 207, 208, 209 kind of times that Robert DiCostello and Steve Monigetti were doing back in the day. He he said it was a very tricky question to answer. He actually wasn't that sure himself. He postulated that maybe Australia's current marathoners aren't consistently covering the volume required, but he wasn't sure. Uh, he went on to say that he was very impressed by the recent efforts of Liam Adams, Brett Robinson and Jack Rayner over the distance and postulated that perhaps it's not too far away. I then went on to ask who his fondest and most proud memory was as a running coach. He wanted to make mention of athletes such as Lisa Dick, Andrew Leatherby, and we resume the chat where he's talking about Rod DeHyden. Um, you know, people would sometimes look at his running and think, oh, you know, he's just bundling along, bowling along, but he's not running great at the moment. <clears throat> and then when the big race comes, like an Olympic trial, there he is, you know, yep. cross-country trial. Um, he could always, you know, do better. Uh, than what you would anticipate. Mm-hmm. Um, so I like those stories. Um, you know, I, I often talk about Damien Cook, who I, I joke with saying he's the best hack I ever coached <laughs> um, because he came from four hours down to 2.21. Well. Um, he ran, I've forgotten what he ran at Sandown, but it was something like 18.22 uh, around there. Uh, he broke 60 minutes uh, at Fitzy's hut at, um, at Falls Creek, which means something to people who have done it. Um, and, um, you know, he just got the best out of himself. Um, so those things are wonderful. But, of course, you know, Mona's, Mona's bronze in, um, you know, the Worlds in 97 was, you know, yep. absolute, absolute highlight. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, people like... Um, yeah, just, yeah, there's there's a host of uh, Johnny Andrews, who I coached late in his career uh, when he made the world champs. That was wonderful for me. Um, I coached Jared Barrett very late in his career and he, he ran his personal best half marathon. Um, those things I really, you know, really like. Um, and, um, uh, you know. Yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah, so it's, yeah, it, it's, again, I like to think about the Rod O'Connors and the Cesar Jensen's, people you've probably never heard of, yeah. um, you know, who ran really quite well, you know, in the 340s for 1500 and, 
you know, Gus McDonald, who's a very, very good friend of mine, who I think ran about 14.24 for 5,000. He beat Deke as a, as a junior. We talk about that at <laughs> cross country. Um, so they're the sort of ones that I really like. And uh, what about Karen McCann? Yeah, Karen um, is just such an important person to me and, and to Mona and Troopy and, uh, you know, a whole range of people, Rod and Sean Cordy, who we all went to camps with, Karen. Um, uh, she was just uh, the master of calmness. Uh, I always remember when Troopy was talking about a million things and <laughs> and uh, Karen, Karen said to Troopy, Troopy, Rab's right. You're thinking too much. Stop thinking. <laughs> um, but uh, you know, she was a wonderful runner. Um, you know, fan, fan, uh, Greg was a fabulous partner, uh, and the children. And uh, you know, we miss her terribly. Uh, and you know, an inspiration to many, many people. I know Eloise uh, Wellings um, really, you know. Um, regards there was you know a great inspiration and so did many 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 athletes so uh yeah we miss her terribly but uh what a wonderful person to have been associated with actually i've got one more question sorry um yeah, yeah like uh, you, you you mentioned before like you've mentioned so many sort of australian um uh inspirations and influences on your running and your coaching career um and then you mentioned sort of that frank shorter book how that influenced yeah. you um, yeah. with the, uh, the, the quarters. Um, uh, but like, do you have any, um, other notable sort of international, um, yeah. uh, influences on your, your, um, coaching and your, your running c- career? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So that, that would have been a real, um, um, misstep if I didn't, if mm-hmm. I might've met the idiot, but yep. so influential. And his protege, Arch Jelly, who coached Bruce Jones and Quaxi uh, and everybody. Uh, so that New Zealand influence is, is really significant. I'd also say, in inspirational terms, Brendan Foster. Uh, I yep. named my son after him. Uh, he, was, <laughs> you know, he was the great Brendan Foster when I was on the rise. Um, I loved his attitude to rain. Uh, his opening line in his book says, I'm not even the best runner in Gateshead, uh, where he, you know, he made it clear that the only reason he was Brendan Foster was because he'd worked so hard, he wasn't the most talented guy there. Um, he put it on the line to lasso Varen, trying to beat him. I love Varen too, of course. Yeah. Um, but uh, Foster, Foster and Shorter were my two international inspirations and then then when I was running well um, I looked up to Quaxi a lot um, because I knew him and knew him well and you know I had a long chat to Dick you know not long before he died um, about his son Theo who's running well Um, oh yeah he's in uh, Flagstaff isn't he Uh, yeah northern Arizona yeah yeah Mm. so um, yeah that'd be you know but I I've got to come back to R.W. Clark, Trevor Vincent, you know. Yep, yep. <laughs> you know, really important to me. And, of course, Pat Clavesi. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's that's awesome. Um, I'm just wary of the time, Rab, and um, I'm so appreciative of everything you've shared with me today. I really enjoyed the chat, and I'm sure so many people will 
get so much out of what you've talked about and and all your experience and um yeah just listening to you talk about um the system and uh uh yeah just sharing um all you know so many stories so thanks so much for the chat great thanks dane and uh yeah good luck with it yeah no no worries thanks rab great Thanks, guys, for listening. If you're enjoying these Run Culture podcast episodes, be sure to leave a review for what it's worth. And also, don't forget to subscribe to my podcast. If you subscribe and leave a review, then I rate better in iTunes. More people will hear of my podcast. If more people hear of my podcast, I can make a bigger difference and teach more people about running, running physio, and share the experiences of all the lovely guests that I have on the podcast. All right, thanks.